Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everybody? Bros Pod is, of course, brought to you by Bet Online. The holiday season is off and rolling with the NFL in full stride and the NBA and NHL hitting mid-season form. BetOnline is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info. With up-to-the-minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, BetOnline is the top spot for everything pro and amateur sports. And not just the big four. BetOnline has info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport that's played, from MMA to international soccer. So head to Bet Online today and remember to use our promo code BLEAVE, that's B L E A V, for your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. We have a great pod for you today. Bill and I are joined by author John Harris. He's author of the book Tomlin, The Soul of a Football Coach. So we'll talk about Mike Tomlin and the job he has done his entire career with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Once again, Pittsburgh is 7-4, and four, uh, entering into this weekend's games. Second in the AFC North, despite offensive and defensive rankings that are at the bottom of the league. We don't know how he does it, but we'll talk to John Harris and uh, get some insight on the man who is Mike Tomlin. So hold tight. We'll be back right after the sounds of our guy, Steve Wilson. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another version of Bill Roden of Sports. Uh, I'm uh, Bill Roden. I'm here in... Uh, we normally say undisclosed location, but since I'm working, I'm here in Baltimore. Uh, just watched uh, the Ravens um, run through the Cincinnati Bengals uh, in a game that just reinforced how brutal football is, how unforgiving it is, and how your life as a football player is very fragile. <laughs> you know, uh, and we'll talk about uh, that and more with our guest, the great John Harris. But first. Uh, let me bring in my friend and co-host, great Jamal Murphy. Murph, what's going on? Everything's good over here, Bill. Like you said, I was watching that that Monday night game. Or what, what, Thursday Seriously. night game, I'm sorry. Yeah. Thursday night game. Uh, and you're right. Uh, guys were going down like flies. Uh, Andrews out for the season. Burrow out for the season. So it's it's, it's rough out here. It's rough out yeah. there, man. Yeah, it's, it's rough out there. Out. Yeah, yeah. But like you said, we have a, a great, great guest today. Uh, we have John Harris, who is author of Tomlin, the soul of a football coach. Uh, he was also a longtime journalist, uh, worked at places such as Pittsburgh Tribune Review, Philadelphia Inquirer, uh, written for ESPN's Anscape and a, and a lot of other places. I could go on and on. He also <laughs> he's also the author of a, of a book on Edger and James called From Gold Teeth to Gold Jacket. I love that. I love that pretty, title. That's pretty interesting, title. too. <laughs> That's a great title. So, uh, yeah. Mr. Harris, thank you for joining us. Hey, guys. It's good to be here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. You know, my first question, particularly with Tomlin, uh, 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 you know, congratulations on the book. And, and I'm very intrigued by Tomlin. Did he participate in this or was this uh, a, a participation without him? He did not. It's a biography. Um, 
it's interesting. He's <laughs> it's so Mike Tomlinish. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I don't think he's at all. I know some biographies, you know, people don't really want to have anything to do with it. I think he's good with it. I know he's good with it because his brother Ed is like talks to me all the time in it, and they're very close. They're the only siblings, so I figured if he wasn't comfortable with it, his brother would not have talked to me. His brother gave me so much insight that um, wow. that you know I really wouldn't have gotten the other way. And several interview people I've interviewed mentioned, "Hey, Coach T gave me his blessing," so oh, okay. he's aware of it. Um, but you know, I'm looking at it like it's not his story. Maybe the way he's looking at it. And I, I'm cool with it, but I don't know everything that's in it. So, um, but that's just me trying to read his mind. Uh, has, he, has he read it? I mean, has he? I know that uh, uh, a friend of Kevin Merida and Mike Fletcher did this book on um, Clarence Thomas, uh-huh. and, and which of course he didn't participate in. <laughs> and they sent him the book, and he sent it back. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I don't know if he did that. <laughs> uh, I'm in the process of sending him one. I, I don't. I don't think he'll send it back. I'm, I mean, it's funny when I when I reached out to his brother, I didn't know uh, what was going to happen. I mean, I got his somehow. I got his number. I texted him. He texted me back. He said, "Well, you know, is my brother in this project?" I said, "No, he's not." I was very upfront with him. He said, "I'll get back to you." And like a few hours later, he texted me back. He said, "Let's do it." So I got to believe that he put in a call to the 412 and <laughs> just told his brother about it. And I, I think I was surprised, to be honest with you, I didn't know that there wasn't a Mike Tomlin book. When I started researching it, I, I had assumed there was a book or two on him and there wasn't, which really surprised me. So, and like timing is everything. I think this this year is very interesting. I think a lot of people are following this whole NFL, the Steelers. They're six and three, but people are trying to figure out how. So this Mike Tomlin magic, I'm watching everybody talking about this guy. So I'm keeping my fingers crossed. And it's a very interesting season. So he's, he <laughs> continues to be a talking point even in year 17. Yeah, yeah. no, it's a, it's, a, it's great timing on the book because, like you said, everybody's I've been talking about him. Everybody's talking about him. Trying to figure out how he's how he's accomplishing this, you know, six and three. I think I think they're like <laughs> close to last in defense, close to last in offense. I don't know. I don't know how it's happening. But yeah. what what made you? I know you covered him for a while in Pittsburgh. But what made you want to write this book? Um, I mean, I thought he deserved a book. To be honest with you, I mean, I know the uh, Eagles coach who's now at Jacksonville. When he won a Super Bowl, he had a book. And I mean, Mike Tomlin won the Super Bowl quite a while ago, but I just figured this guy, I mean, he's had a tremendous amount of success. He's supplanted his mentor, Tony Dungy, as the uh, winningest, you know, NFL uh, African-American coach and has had tremendous success. You know, and of course, everybody keeps talking about he's never had a losing season. I just think he's an intriguing guy. I mean, I was talking to somebody earlier. He, you don't see, he doesn't do commercials, even though he could. He's just got this figure on the sideline and it's a mysterious figure. He reveals a little bit at press conferences. People love his press conferences. And that's pretty much all you really get from him. And as I learned covering him for like six, seven years, you get what he wants you to get. Uh, we weren't necessarily the best of friends. He didn't give me very much of what I wanted, but he was just, that's just the way he was as a coach. I, mean, I feel like that's the way he felt like he had to be, to be successful. Um, and nothing was going to dissuade him from from that philosophy, and it's worked pretty well. Yeah, 
Yeah, it's funny. I was talking to some people, and I'm trying to rack my brain thinking that they did a documentary uh, about all the black NFL coaches, you know, and uh, they said only a couple people didn't do it. Uh, Art Shell didn't do it, and, of course, Tony Dungy. I mean, not Tony. Tony did it. Tony was, you know, Tony. Yeah. He, he yeah. Was very, but but uh, the other one was Mike Tomlin. Yeah. Yep. Do it. He just said, he said he told somebody, man, I'm just tired, you know. Uh, yeah, Mike, the Washington Post, I think one of oh, that's what he is for this year. He he, yeah. he was noticeably not, and uh, maybe I overlooked it, but I didn't see him in that. No, 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 that, that was it. That was yeah, it. I was talking, okay, yeah, I was talking to Jerry Brewer, yeah, and yeah, Brewer, yeah. Brewer was part of that. He said, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. And he was saying, Yeah, Thomas just said, No, I don't, I don't want to be involved. Yeah. So, you know, I, I'm just curious about his racial thing, you know, because I, I saw him once. The undefeated did something in yeah. Newport News, and yeah. it was him, and I think somebody else, and he Mike was on the panel, mm -hmm. you know, and so I said, oh, okay, you know, he's he's there and he's you know talking and being upfront, but that was it, you know. So what was your professional relationship like? You know, did he did did race ever come up? Did he? I mean, you know. Mm. Not really. I can't really recall ever, you know, a situation happening when I was covering the team when he was there. I mean, his race was in your face in a market like Pittsburgh, which I was in a lot of markets. And from a media standpoint, for a person of color, there's no other market like Pittsburgh. I, I have to be honest. It's very, very different. So I see a lot of irony in the fact that he's been the head coach there for 17 years in a market that in many ways has never really totally embraced him from a media mm. market. Really? And um, as a, as a, you know, as an African-American reporter, there were times when I probably expected more from him and didn't get it. And so I'll be honest with you, before writing this book, I had to kind of have a what come to Jesus moment and, and really think about it and lay whatever personal on it. We had no issues, but whatever personal thoughts I had about it, and I just felt like his story deserves to be told. Um, it hasn't been told. And I think just his watching his career and maybe how people respond to some of the things that he's done. Uh, he wins a Super Bowl, but he won them with Bill Cowher's players. He won a Super Bowl with Ben Roethlisberger. You know, it was, never, it was always something, some reason why he won. It had nothing to do with him. But when things didn't go right, oh, you know, Mike Tomlin lost control. So he's. And I've all, and I write about it in the book. I wonder watching him at press conferences, how did you not go off on that dude for asking you that question? Because I would have. So as a black reporter <laughs> serving this black coach in this you know predominantly white media market, I, I present some of that as well. Just my observations and how he's been able to succeed um, and just let everything go off his back. He's had his moments, you know. Um, he you know when he brought in. Um, the coach from Miami, oh, yeah, Flores, Flores, yeah. Flores, which maybe surprised a lot of people and right. brought him in. That's a, a young Mike Tomlin probably wouldn't have done that. You know, right? Why, in the, why right is that? Uh, I don't think, I think he feels like he has more authority and control. I don't know if he's always had that, ah. uh, to be honest with you. Um, so at year, what was it, about year 14 or 15 when he made that decision, I thought that was a statement. That was a statement. I know he did the Brian Gumble thing about black coaches. I know he had a couple of powerful comments 
about that and about the league not really doing anything and really still at a standstill, which I talk about in the book. He's had his moments, but you kind of really got to. And he talked about being a black coach and expectations people have for him that maybe aren't the expectations that he has for himself. Yeah. And he does what's comfortable for him. That's kind of how he explained it. Yeah. You know, now that you mentioned that, I remember it was year, maybe last year, year before last, there was a uh, a black coaches summit in New York uh, that I was invited to, uh-huh. and uh, Mike was one of the speakers. Uh, okay. He did it by Zoom, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like surprised. Oh, okay. So I guess there's certain indications that you get about people, black people, that they're kind of down with a cause, but not yeah. down in your face, like. You you mentioned Brian, Brian Flores. Uh, a he's got a black punter, uh, <laughs> and the brother who uh, he brought in the quarterback, Dwayne Haskins. Dwayne Haskins, yeah. And yeah. I thought that, you know, without making any kind of statements, he said, "Okay, you know, I'm gonna give this young cat, uh, you know, a chance." He Michael did. Vick. He brought Michael Vick in at the end of his career. Of course, they got that that uh, what Hampton Roads yeah. connection there. A lot of people were like raising eyebrows. What, what are you bringing him in for? He actually helped them win a couple games that year when um, Ben Roethlisberger got hurt. So he, like you say, he he's had his moments. Yeah. He's got to kind of look for him. And like you say, it's not in your face. Yeah, it's not it's a big clock. He does it. So what did his brother? You you, you talked about his brother. What oh, kind of yeah. guy is his brother? And what kind of insights did he did he give you? He was good. Uh, Ed talk. Yeah. They talk. If you talk to him, you would swear you were talking to Mike. Is that right? They all, same inflections. It was scary. Hmm. Uh, if you look at pictures of them, they really f- f- um, favor each other. And one thing I learned, he played, he was a very good football player. He he played at the University of Maryland oh, okay. and was a safety and got hurt. I don't know. He may have made it to the league. Um, he talked a lot about them growing up. Uh, Mike is very comfortable with everybody. You know, he's he just kind of goes through the, you know, the race thing, everybody. He talks, communicates to everybody. His players, black and white, whatever, they all speak highly of him. And it, and and Ed talked about when they were young, growing up, they played a lot of sports in in Newport News with kids that weren't black, and they kind of got comfortable with it at a young age. And he trip he looks at that as a, a way one of the reasons why Mike, you know, whether it's at uh, William and Mary, which is a predominantly white institution, and all the way up the ranks, he's just always had this natural comfort level being able to communicate with a lot of different people and them in turn being able to communicate with him i think that's one of his uh special gifts as a coach that he just just has this natural vibe with his players um and i've always spent a lot of time talking about how that's one of his big attributes is getting to know them as people getting them and them getting to know him and feeling comfortable enough to, and many times open up, and uh, fascinating. In the introduction, he talks about how he uh, in the morning he has a cup of coffee, and he watches the players as they come into the facility, and studies them, hmm. and sometimes is able to read uh, maybe a player is down or whatever. And sometimes he'll approach them and, and, and talk and sometimes they'll respond and sometimes they won't. But he said, I can't just be sitting in my office coaching. You know, I got to get to know these men. They got to get to know me. That's part of my job. So, yeah, he 
he races. He's he's shown his anger. I mean, when when he was a few years ago when the USC job. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That's one of the angriest that anyone's ever seen him. And I and I really think about it. I talk about it in the book. I believe, and he picked out Andy Reid, and he picked out. Uh, Save it. No, he put out the Denver coach now. I'm sorry. Oh, Sean. And I think he picked him out for a reason. At that time, I think Andy Reid had only won one Super Bowl. Right. Sean Payton had won one Super Bowl. Their winning percentages were all very similar. So he's like, okay, so why are you asking me this? He said, then, he, then after he finished, he said, then he started some more. He said, you didn't ask Andy Reid that question. Right. You didn't ask Sean Payton that question. I mean, right. he was pissed. Right. Yeah, yeah. I think he took that as a slap in the face and dignity as, you know, hey, another 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 thing that a black coach has to deal with. Right. You know, another perception without saying it. He said it. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's almost like um, just treat me as a human being. There you go. And when you don't treat me as a human being, you know, so so the bottom line. So is there something in doing all your reporting? I I, I mean, you talked to Tony Dungy, you talked to like all the is there something uh an aspect of of uh tomlin that was revealing that uh as much as you covered him and around him was there any insight that um you know even as journalists made you kind of say oh wow I, that's kind of fascinating yeah that's good that's a good question i um i think as a coach i, I when he was at william and mary i was i talked to his roommate uh sean knight who's a quarterback and they were roommates for, I think, three of the four years there. And they were very close. Sean, Sean was the quarterback. Mike was a wide receiver. And he talks a lot about, even at that stage, how they used to talk about game planning and strategy. And there was an incident of a player who, uh, when the quarterback before Sean was there, he was catching all the passes. And then when the quarterback left, I guess teams started pushing their coverage to him. So then the quarterback, Sean, started throwing more passes to Mike. It was becoming obvious there was a rift that people were like, okay, he's throwing it to his roommate. And they they talked about it before a game, you know, hey, you know, what are we gonna, you know, we gotta look at this situation. They were aware that it was a problem. They weren't just into their world with me. They looked at, you know, Mike had this ability to look at the whole big picture. And I guess in this particular game, the guy had like four touchdowns, like a school record, four touchdown catches. But Mike still got his. He had like a 80-yard touchdown on the first play of the game, but they were aware, Mike was aware of the dynamic of the situation and that it could possibly cause a problem. So to answer your uh, question, uh, Bill, he has this ability to, very astute, and I don't think he gets enough, you know, he's looked at it as his motivator, which right. a lot of black coaches, that's how they view that. Motivator, <laughs> that's what they do. You know, black players relate to him. Very intelligent guy, understands the game just doesn't feel like he has to get, you know, he's not holding that clipboard out, you know, in front of his face on the sideline. Right. He's got right. the headset on, but that's not a, he doesn't have, he doesn't feel like he has to show you how smart he is. Right. Trust me, he's involved in every aspect of the offense, defense. Even when Dick LeBeau was there, one of his coaches that I talked to was saying that. He said, hey, people thought it was just all Dick LeBeau. He said, no, no, Mike's right up in there handling it. And so I, I would think that, if people take the time to, to, to read through it, they'll see that this guy going all the way back to when he was a college player had this really incredible insight into the game of football. Uh, William and Mary, uh, Jimmy Laycock, the coach, he was unusual in the fact that 
he really encouraged his players to uh, really understand the game. You know, Brian Dayball was mm-hmm. at Wayman Mary. Oh, okay. Yeah, Buffalo coach. Yeah, John right. Also at Wayman Mary. So you got three. And uh, Dan Quinn, who was there for a year, uh, was also, uh, at, you know, who's, so yeah, four guys that were actually NFL head coaches that spent some time at Wayman Mary, which is, you know, you think about it, it's pretty unbelievable. It's a small school and all that. And they said a lot of it came from the coach, the way he, encourage his players to really think the game you know you know your role you know but understand where it fits into the overall type of thing and they said it's no coincidence that a lot of these guys have gone on to you know to become nfl head coaches um hey go ahead go ahead what how about the you know the the general's persona that he has you know you mentioned the motivating factor the 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 uh the great press conferences, the the one-liners, uh, the you know the leadership part. Like where 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 does that come from? Was he always like that? Yeah, I mean, even even in you know like well, I opened a book <laughs> with his personality. The, the first par- few paragraphs in the book is from Dan Quinn. Dan Quinn was a first-year assistant coach. Uh, Mike Tomlin was a senior wide receiver, and I open up with him. Basically, Mike Tomlin invites Dan Quinn to a frat party. So if you can imagine a college player inviting a coach to a fraternity party, just kind of tells you about this guy, you know, and apparently him and one of his teammates, they would strut around, you know, when they'd catch the ball on their teammates. They, I mean, he was a, a much nicer, much calmer Antonio Brown in a way. He had that, <laughs> he, he had that personality. I mean, you, you read it in the book, they talk about how he you know, he got team and you know, opponents riled up. He got teammates riled up. He got coaches riled up. Um, you know, he was just a uh, his personality was always there. Um, they talk about his speaking voice. Coaches talk about you know he's got this booming voice. It's a very distinctive voice. Uh, when he interviewed for the Tampa Bay job, and uh, Tony Dungy was, it was he spoke with Tony Dungy and Kiffin, Monty Kiffin. He talked about two brilliant defensive minds and he and they said you know five minutes into the interview you know he's breaking down everything and they're like mesmerized and at that time he was 27 28 they were just mesmerized by this kind you know ronde barber who you know god love him he was great he has some unbelievable quotes in the book Hmm. he basically credits his career to mike tomlin his hall of fame career spoke about him at the at his hall of fame speech and how he just, this young coach comes in, they're all looking at him, you know, sideways. And he just gives them these pointers and these steps. And they immediately see how it made them a better play. John Lynch, John Lynch was older than Mike Tomlin. When Mike Tomlin, you're like, who is it? What? What is this? Who is this guy? And he just won them over. Just, hey, I, you know, I studied your tape. I think John Lynch said he had, like, he came, he showed them a video, like 63 plays that he had from the previous year. And he broke, he had broke, he broke each one of them down. And, you know, John Lynch was like, wow, you know, and <laughs> things made them better as players. And I, I won't give away the quote. There's an unbelievable quote <laughs> that he describes the difference between, Ronnie Barber describes the difference between um, Mike Tomlin and Herb Edwards. Herb Edwards. I, I, I recommended reading. I won't, I'll leave it at that, but it's eye-opening. And wow. they, because Herm Edwards was a defensive back coach until he took the Jets job, and then Mike Tomlin took that job. So pretty, 
pretty interesting. That's, that's why, I, yeah, I need, I need to dig into that. And, yeah, and man, I, I wish I on, on their face, they, they would seem similar, right? In terms of the yeah, outward, both good coaches. Well, yeah, wait a minute. Do you have? Do you have the? I, I'm in. I'm in Baltimore. I don't have my book. Do you have your book with you, uh, Jamal? I have the digital. It's in the Tampa Bay chapter. What's happening? Yeah, okay. it's so, like. Uh, yeah, I think it's like the fifth or sixth chapter. But yeah, I'll, I, I'll I, keep him busy. I'll keep him busy. <laughs> I'm trying to quote. I recommend it. Recommend it. You know, you might have to um, put a you know a, a warning label on it, but uh, it, right. <laughs> but but I, think it's a, I think it's a. Fa I think it's a fascinating quote. And I asked. I asked uh, Rondi about. It. I said, are "You are you cool with this?" Mm -hmm. He said, "Yeah, okay. If I said it, you know, he was unbelievable. He was great. He was, um, yeah. That is a really a sharp guy, Rondi yeah. Barber. I mean, right. really sharp. If you listen to his Hall of Fame speech, just his, his Hall of Fame speech was classic. Yeah, just and, unbelievable. And I, you know, and I, and I think I forgot exactly what he said about uh, Tomlin, but I just remember it was another insight into Tomlin." Yeah. And I'm like, wow. And I forgot what he said, but he said whatever it was, it changed his career. Yeah. He and, and he you know Tomlin put the jacket on. You know, the night before they put the Hall of Fame jacket on. Mm -hmm. And normally it's set up where, you know, a player does it. You know, it was supposed to be John Lynch. But they said, no, they agreed. You know, Ronde had already said, no, Mike, Mike T is gonna put the jacket. So Mike T it was training camp. So he missed uh, uh evening practice at Latrobe PA, you know, which he never does. Mm -hmm. And to put the back to put the jacket on Rondé Barber, which I thought was really, you know, and you know he's not even on the same team anymore. So just think right. about that for a minute. That dynamic, you know, <laughs> right. still his coach putting the jacket on a Buccaneers player, and right. uh, speak just a high level of respect that uh, Rondé and so many other guys, you know, have for him. Yeah, yeah. How, how did how did this book you did? We were saying that you did the book on Edrin, mm -hmm. uh, and I'd imagine. It was totally different, you know. The personalities, which a Adrian participated. So let's start with let's start with that, yeah. Yeah. you know. But but I imagine, just in terms of a, a workmanship, uh, being a journalist, yeah. did that did that make it easier? It, uh, um, it, the fact that one guy was participating, and I guess if somebody doesn't participate, you don't have any qualms about following the truth where it leads. Yeah, well, uh, to be honest with you, the first few months of the book, and I am proud of myself. I wrote this book in a year, mm. which I never thought I'd be able to do. And um, But I was just motivated to do it. And we just felt like, the, like we said earlier, I felt the timing was important. It, you know, it came out next year. We just felt like this year right? it was important to have it come out. But when I first started the book, it was a very generic Mike Tomlin book. I'll be honest with you, for the first few months. And then I really lucked into it one day. I... Just on a hunch, I called uh, Cyrus, Cyrus Meary, who worked with Johnny Cochran for years, you know, yeah. and we connected and we started talking. He started telling me things about Mike Tomlin and how the job came about hmm. that I just had no idea about. And then he said, you know, you need to talk to John Wooten. Do you know John Wooten? Yeah. I said, yeah, I know his name. He said, well, look, I'm going to put you in touch with him. I'm going to call him up and I want you to talk to him. And John Wooten just blew, blew my world up. Yeah. And when you read about his involvement, how involved he was with Mike Tomlin getting the Steelers job, um, his relationship with Dan Rooney. And Dan Rooney, I think I, I really tip my cap to him. I covered him. I saw him every now and then. We didn't talk that much. I wish we had talked more. He, to me, when you look at the Rooney rule, people say, why is it working? Why is it not working? At least during that time when there were more 
black coaches being hired, a lot of it had to do with Dan Rooney. And he, you know, he became the ambassador to um, Ireland, you know, under President Obama. Then he passed away in 2017. And people wondered, what's, what's wrong with the Rooney rule? Well, there's no more Dan Rooney's. Right. The owners that are there now are there. Right. And, you know, Goodell, it's going to, it's only can come from the owners. There has to be a true commitment to that. Right. And Rooney had it. I mean, he had already interviewed two. It came out there was one. He actually had interviewed two coaches of color before he interviewed Mike Tomlin. So he had already satisfied the Rooney rule requirements. You know, if he had hired Russ Grimm, who everybody thought was going to get the job, he could have, you know, gone to bed, you know, sleeping okay. You know, like like most owners say, oh, well, we satisfied the Rooney rule requirements, you know, which is what most of them say. Right. So he had satisfied them. But there was something about Mike Tomlin. And, and I'll tell you, the relationship that he had with John Wooten, which went all the way back to when John Wooten replaced Chuck Knoll at guard for the Cleveland Browns. And that's where their relationship started. And he always had this uh, affinity with Dan Rooney and their relationship was so long. So they had had their annual meeting uh, with the uh, Fitzpollard Alliance. They were, they had their annual meeting where they give the uh, ready list for the, you know, the black coaches that are on the list this year. And Tony Dungy had encouraged um, this one year at this one year, Mike Tomlin had been in Minnesota as a coordinator this one year. And Tony Dungy encouraged uh, John Wooten to put Tony, uh, Mike Tomlin's name on the ready list. And they presented this to Dan Rooney, who at the, to, up until that point did not know who Mike Tomlin was. This was in December. They hired him in, what, a month later. And Dan and uh, John Wooten, he told Dan Rooney, as a favor, I'm asking, could you just go see this young man, Mike Tomlin? Now, Dan Rooney flies. Now, the people don't know this. Dan Rooney flies to Minneapolis. All we know is that Mike Tomlin interviewed in Pittsburgh, but he actually flew to Minneapolis first. And he calls like he calls Dan, he calls John Wooten back the next day and says, John, do you have a minute to talk? I said, Yeah. He said, I, I, I just got to invite this uh this young fellow, Mike Tomlin, to Pittsburgh. And that's kind of where it started. And but if John Wooten doesn't do that, maybe that doesn't happen. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure maybe Mike, eventually Mike Tomlin would have gotten the job. And another irony is that he wasn't going to get the Minnesota job. Um, 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 his name's getting old. These names keep slipping me. The, um, Brad Childress, mm-hmm. who, I, who I really tip my cap to as well. He was great. And he was going to hire Steve Spagnuolo, who mm-hmm. was former Giants coordinator, mm-hmm. who's now the coordinator with the Chiefs. They were they were they were assistant coaches at um, Philadelphia, and he was going to hire Steve Spagnuolo. He calls, he reaches out, and Andy Reid calls him up one day and says, "Hey, I, I know what you're trying to do. Leave him alone. Get out of here." So that was the first choice, and then he kind of goes back to this young coach that he you know he heard a lot about, and he remembers seeing him at some seminars and you know uh, pro days. And so Mike Tomlin. Well, actually wasn't his first choice. So things kind of fell into place for, you know, he, Mike was at the right place at the right time. He was prepared for the moment. And, he, you know, he spends one year in Minnesota, just one year in Minnesota. You know, so he goes to Pittsburgh. He's, what, 30, 34 years old, uh, which, you know, besides his skin color, the age, I mean, people are like, what? But that was the Steelers' uh, M.O. 
Chuck No, I mean Chuck Knowles in his thirties. Uh, Bill Carroll was thirty-five. So it really wasn't that. What was unusual was that he was black. Right. You know, right. and of course in Pittsburgh, it looked at that. It wouldn't have been that big of a shot because he was a defensive coach, and he was a young coach. Yeah. So he fit their mold. They didn't go outside the mold. They just hired somebody that didn't look like most coaches, and that was the shock. But they did their homework. It was what they've always done. They hired young uh, coaches, and he fit that mold perfectly. Did you talk to Rosselsberger? No. No, I did not talk to him. I, I reached out to a lot of people that I didn't talk to. But a lot – I'll be honest with you. There's some unbelievable quotes uh, from – I mean, I have some unbelievable quotes from Mike Tomlin. They just <laughs> – they're not just not out of his mouth. But right. Ben Roethlisberger is interesting because – he was such a great talent. And if you want to look at some of the things that Mike didn't do, I think there was an issue with how some players were handled. And they talk about that. I'll talk to Casey Hampton, who was great, um, how players viewed that, how Ben pretty much kind of did what he wanted. And players had a problem with that, especially if you're kind of cracking down on other guys. Right. And Antonio Brown was given a he was given a leash, but not a leash as long as Ben Roethlisberger. Um, and there was a lot of resentment going on uh, with that. So I think if you want to look at how that team kind of imploded, you know, they end up having to trade Antonio, you know, Le'Veon Bell leaves. If you want to look back, you know, and if, if he could probably do it over again, I think he might look at that a little differently. Say, you know, you know that that's kind of where it came. Those guys were incredibly talented, man. He that Some of those Steelers teams were just – Incredible <laughs> talented. He should have probably won a couple more Super Bowls by now. Um, but Le'Veon Bell was also hurt a lot. He missed some playoff games. So they never like were totally at full strength. And in the one year when AB's in the locker room, you know, with the Facebook Live, I mean, right. so I many know. things that went on with that team beyond just football. But he's yeah. but he's still there after 17 years. I don't know if many coaches could deal with all the ups and downs that have been there with the Steelers since he's taken over. Well, speaking yeah. of that, I mean, he's there now. Um, you know, the last few years, you know, he hasn't had a losing record, but he's kind of at that, you know, they're successful, but not Super Bowl successful. Right. Yeah. How do you how do you view it, you know, having covered him uh, even even in the past and then, you know, writing this book, how do you view the future, the current situation and the future situation? If you know if he continues, doesn't look like they'll be under 500 this year either. No. He'll have a winning record this year. It looks like yeah. but they don't quite look like Super Bowl contenders. If no. he keeps that up, you know, will the you know what's the, what's the Pittsburgh market gonna want, and no. will he still be there? And can you see him being somewhere else? Uh, well, as as I've learned with the Rooney, they don't care what the Pittsburgh market wants because they didn't want they didn't want Mike Tomlin initially, and for the last couple of years, I mean, all the media in Pittsburgh writing that he should be fired. Yeah. So the Rooney's just on now art. They've shown they don't really care what the media thinks. I mean, because a lot of teams would have caved in a long time ago and had probably made a change. I think a lot of, you know, answer your question, I think a lot of it comes down to the quarterback. What happens with Pickett? Does he develop or does he just stay on the same career path? I think if he develops, they've got some weapons. This draft they had was exceptional. The, uh, the offensive tackle. Uh, Joey Porter's son at cornerback. Yep. I mean, there's, there's there's a defensive tackle that's playing very well. There's a defensive end. They did very uh, uh, they, they did very well. There's a tight they end. Have receivers. Yeah, they yeah Pickens. I mean, they've got talent. 
but it's going to come down to, you know, in the NFL now, it's, you know, how good is your quarterback? Right. Um, I think for the future, I, you know, this year, I, I don't know. I think they'll make it, but making the playoffs, maybe they win 10 games, they win 11, they'll be in the playoffs. Now you look at Cincinnati, the Burrow's out. Right. You know, Cleveland, we don't know what their quarterback situation is. If you look at the Steelers' yeah. record, they're, they're doing pretty good overall in the AFC. So they should, unless they just totally collapse, they should be in the playoffs. Are they a team that's going to go deep in the playoffs? I don't, you know, unless Pickett just elevates his game, I don't see it. To me, next year would be his huge year. You know, you're in year three. If he's really not progressing much more, you're going to have to, because you got too much good talent around him to just kind of just continue to exist at that position. But I think, I think Art Rooney, the, uh, who's in charge now, I, I think he's, I think he, they look at things like what I just said, the record. They're not swayed by all the other stuff. You know, he's saying, hey, you know, we're right in playoff position right now. That's kind of how they look at it. What are, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's different, right? but that's how they look at it. So, I mean, unless something just really happens, you know, look at the offensive coordinator. Everybody's wanting him fired. Right. He, he stayed with him. And I, I talked to Doug Williams who worked with Mike in, in Tampa, and he said, hey, you know, I would have gotten rid of him. He said, <laughs> but, that, but that's Mike. Right. He said, that's just how Mike is. You know, he's very loyal, and he doesn't, you know, let outside stuff bother him. He said, but, yeah, it was obvious this guy is not doing what he needs to be doing. He said, but Mike didn't give up on him. He said, it's just how he is as a coach in general. And he, he is extremely loyal. You know, there were a lot of coaches there on that staff who he was in college with. Mm. So his loyalty, I guess, well, I think a lot of coaches are loyal to right. guys, maybe even beyond when they should be loyal to them. Right. Hey, Jeff, before we let you go, um, I guess one last question, and it kind of gets to the coordinator thing. And yeah. I know uh, Mike got into a thing with who's the brother at the NFL Network who uh, is now suing them. Um, uh, uh, but he got oh, the- You're talking about the uh, reporter? The reporter. Yeah, um, um, who, 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 I should know because we're, yeah, we're, yeah, yeah. we're friends. Yeah. <laughs> but, he, yeah, but he brought up the fact that Mike had never hired yeah. a black coordinator. Right. And Mike kind of went off on him. Uh, or, or I don't know if he went off on him, but he wasn't yeah. happy. Um, yeah, he, well, he has so one. I, he has one now. But that, that was, was, that was until this one. Yeah. 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 Um, he, he's very sensitive about that. Um, I, you know, I, I'd be looking at some of the stuff, some of the moves. I don't always know if they were his moves. Mm-hmm. And I, and he says, Hey, everything that's happened is my approval. But some of the things like, like Todd Haley, to me, that hire, there were no, you know, we talk about connections. There was no connection between Todd Haley and Mike Tomlin. They never worked together. Todd Haley's father had been a longtime scout with the Steelers. Right. But Dick Haley, but there was no connection. You know, a lot of people said that, he had interviewed with Jim Caldwell, who huh. he knew. You know, that would to me, if, if that's who he wanted, and how you see right. most coaches seem to get to hire the coordinator they want. Right. I don't I, I just find it hard to believe that Todd Haley was the guy. Mike said that he wanted to change the offense. And that's why he brought in Todd Haley. They 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 kind of dumbed it down, went to more of a short passing game at that point. You know, Ben did have some of his better years uh with Todd Haley as coordinator, but if you're just looking at Okay, why didn't you hire Jim Caldwell here, or why would you hire? You know, those are those are the hires or moves that, yeah, would make you kind of, you know, say, mm, wonder what's going on. 
but yeah, he's very sensitive to that. Um, you know, he does have a defensive coordinator now who's who's black. Um, uh, I don't know. It's it's he has a lot of black coaches on his staff, but yeah. coordinators are looked at that one position. You know, you're one step away from being a head coach. You know, why hasn't he developed more? You know, if you you know when I talk to um, um, Tony Dungy, he talks about how he targeted Mike Tomlin, right. targeted you know Herm Edwards. He targeted Lovey Smith with the intent of trying to develop them. And he was very intentional about it. He didn't shy away from it. He you know he wanted them to interview, talk to reporters, put them out front because he learned that from Dennis Green in Minnesota. Dennis Green right. allowed him to spread his wings. So has Mike done it the way Tony Dungy's done it that way? No, he hasn't. But like you, like you said, he's, he's more comfortable now. He's older. And I, yeah. and I think the Flores hire, like you said, I think that was, that was very important. Yeah. Now look where Flores, now Flores has a, you know, he's back, got back in the league and now he's a defensive coordinator. Yeah. Uh, you know, a step away from another position maybe. So yeah, you hope that's going to happen that he'll get another opportunity. Well, you know, depending yeah. on how well Minnesota plays, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. You know, thank, thank, thank goodness for uh, Dobbs. <laughs> oh, my God. He had Dobbs. There, there's another one for you. A lot of people are shaking their head. Dobbs was on the team twice, yeah. and they let him go. Yeah. I mean, I'd rather have – I'll be honest with you, I'd rather have Dobbs than Kenny Pickett. <laughs> <laughs> Just my personal opinion. They had him. We you know, was that his call? I, I, I don't – you know, those are questions I – don't really have an answer for, but um, yeah, you say, wow, if they had Dobbs, you know, where would they be? Or at least in the backup quarterback situation, they'd be in a lot, you know, better situation. You know, was that his call? Was that a call over him? Mm, I don't know. And and pick it was was a he was a second round pick. No, he was a first round pick. The first round pick, and but he was like <laughs> twenty, twenty, like twenty. And some people said that they wanted to draft the quarterback who's now with um, Tennessee. Oh, the, the, the black quarterback or the no, no, the white guy from Liberty. Levin. 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 No, 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 not him. The one before oh, that, because yeah, yeah, black quarterback, and yeah. oh, everybody okay. said they wanted him because he was a mobile quarterback, right? Right. And but when they draft, they drafted Pickett, and That's everybody right. was like, "Oh, okay." So again, was that his call? Uh, there's some moves that have happened that you just kind of wonder. But the one move you don't wonder about receivers. He talks about he's always had this affinity for receivers because he played receiver. Right. Maybe one reason why he's cut some. Look at the receivers that he's had. I mean, he's had some phenomenal. And I see Dallas just resigned uh, a receiver, Martavius Bryant, who I, I tell you, the most talented receiver I ever saw in my life hmm. when he was healthy. I mean, he wasn't a Randy Moss type, but 6'4, had the agility, the unbelievable speed. You know, he wasn't like a stiff tall. He was a. He could move. They had him. They had Antonio Brown. I mean, they've had some unbelievable. He's had yeah, some unbelievable yeah. receivers. Yeah, yeah I actually didn't realize that until I, until I was reading the book. Uh, you know, I always looked at him as kind of like a – because he played – he was a – I mean, he was a coach. He was a defensive backs coach, so I always figured that was his background. Yeah. I didn't even realize he was a wide receiver. Yeah, and he switched. They switched him because he was an offensive coach. And then Keith Butler, who ended up being his defensive coordinator in Pittsburgh, he was – he had come from – they had worked together in Memphis – and then Keith Butler joined him at Arkansas State. He had developed this relationship with Keith Butler. So then he moved to defense. And that's where he started picking up on the defense. And, they, and coaches said, well, that's going to be good because you have an offensive background. It's good for you to learn the defensive side. 
Right. Yeah. Well, this is great stuff, man. So the author is John Harris. Uh, the book is Tomlin, the soul of a football coach. Uh, and uh, Tomlin is just an intriguing figure. So I think you struck gold, uh, not only because of the timing, but yeah. just because of, uh, you know, Tomlin, just because yeah. nobody really knows this guy. You don't no. see him. You only see him on the sideline. You know, he's intense. Um, he is... The, the definition of racially neutral, at least on the outside. Right. Yes. Uh, yes. But, but, but right. He, he needs. He deserves a book. And if he were white, he'd probably have a book. It's kind of right. you know think about like Parcells minus one minus one ring maybe. Wait, Parcells has what one ring, it, two rings. Here's something to consider before you let me go. Mm -hmm. um, his career path. There are very few black coaches that have had a career path like his. He becomes a graduate assistant. He he gets a job yeah. right out of college. How many how many does, how many black coaches do that? Right. He gets he gets a job right. I mean, he graduated in what May, and he's coaching. He's coaching the VMI in the fall. The next year, he gets a graduate assistantship in Memphis. So he he kind of was different. And he started like like a, like many black white coaches. Right. Exactly. And then he, and then you know and the, these older coaches kind of if you you'll read they kind of took him under his wing. They, you know, they worked with him. And then there was these connections, too, from William & Mary, some coaches that hired him. They played together. Yeah. So there were these connections all throughout his career. People knew him. and But he had he had support. I mean, you can't do it without a village. And he, had, he definitely had a village. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I said I'll let you go. What about his parents? Uh, what what were his parents' background? Um, his, his dad, his father, his birth father was a great athlete, but he and his mom, you know, uh, separated. Mm -hmm. So his mom, uh, you know, raised him. His stepdad, he, I think Mike was, he was young when they when they remarried, and uh, he he was he was a tremendous influence on him and his brother as far as uh, positivity. And one of the things that his brother talks about is growing up as we did. For us, it was very important to be good fathers, mm -hmm. that's, and that's why Mike does a lot of. In the off season, works with a lot of youth groups, talks a lot about the father. It's very obviously had a huge impact on his life. Uh, his parents had his mother wanted him to be a lawyer. Huh. Was not happy <laughs> when you know what, you know eight thousand dollars at at VMI. Like what? what, what? <laughs> eight thousand? Really? You know that yeah. type of thing. What are you doing? You went to William and Mary, boy. You know yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. what kind of school that was. Yeah. You gonna be a football coach? So he had to overcome that, and he did. But that wasn't mom. You know, you know how hard to tell mom no. But he he told her no, and uh, improved it. And even when he interviewed for the Steelers job, she says, "I didn't think he was going to get it." You know, do you know how hard it is? You know, do you know how hard it is to get a job at your age like that? So he nobody really kind of thought this was going to happen. It just no. somehow remarkably happened. You know, and the fact that he's still there. Yeah, and it worked it's, out. It's remarkable in itself, you know. Yeah, right. And, and he got three three kids. He talked to the kids. His wife or they off, off limit. No, I didn't talk to the family. His son is a as a wide receiver. His oldest son, Dino, is a wide receiver at Boston College. Okay. Uh, in fact, I was watching them on TV the other night. They played um, Pitt, and um, so he, he got a chance to see him because they were they played at they played in Pittsburgh. He doesn't get a chance to do that too much. No, this is strictly a. Football, you know, I think in time, maybe one day he'll do his story, the Mike Tomlin autobiography. 
this was strictly, I just wanted people to know, because I didn't know just his career path. Yeah. Uh, I just thought it was such a mystery. People didn't really know how he yeah. got to the point that he got to. So I really spent a lot of time just trying to make that clear and just show this guy, he earned everything. I mean, he earned it. He, he you know, at a young, <laughs> he decided he wanted to be a coach and he worked at small schools. He was never at a, he, he was at the University of Cincinnati. It was the biggest school he was at, but he never really was at a, you know, power five type program where he was in a bowl game, national, none of that. Just small, yeah. under the radar type coaching jobs. Yeah. Hey, man, well, good for you, though, man. That, that, that's great. I mean, great. Stuff. Even Ed, Ed, Edron, your book on Edron was great. Um, Ed, yeah. Ed, again, yeah. It's, it's somebody who's just a very unique, yeah, a unique individual. Edge is, you know? Edge is, Edge is cool. He's, um, very, you know, financially as astute as any athlete I've ever, ever met. Unbelievable. Yeah. 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 That's great, man. So um, uh, maybe you could tell us at some point we come who your next, who your next target is. Uh, I'm uh, working on that. Hopefully yeah. I have something pretty soon. I'm definitely yeah. working on it. Yeah. No, but this is great though, man. Good luck with this. I hope Tomlin, I hope he loves it and, <laughs> and gives you a shout out. We just uh, were talking with uh uh, do you know JTP, uh, JJT, uh, uh, Jock? Oh, yeah, uh, yeah, in Dallas, yeah. I'm, I live in Austin, so, I mean, I haven't seen him, but I've been following his uh, his book on Dion. You know, yeah, he's done a book great on story there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's all good, man. So it's, uh, yeah. all this stuff is very good, very inspiring. You know, the, the quote-unquote younger generation, the younger generation of black sports writers is yeah. doing it. That's great, doing these, yeah. these very important uh biography so congratulations man uh well you know my book. favorite sports book is your book bill so that's always been my uh the, great, yeah. the best sports book i ever read so yeah. uh you know i'll say that to, to the end uh, unbelievable yeah, book. yeah. Hey, but it's, it's all good though man you know we, we're it's all very inspiring you know it's all very inspiring uh so listen man so i i guess i've been the great john harris uh tremendous well-rounded journalist um you know, really, really, really uh, was a solid, always has been a very solid journalist. Uh, so this is great. This book is just sort of another another evolution. Uh, so good luck with it, man. And um, we'll bring you back maybe when they go to the Super Bowl. Although <laughs> you, never, you never know. You never, you know. never know. Hey, this season, this crazy season, anything is possible, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm kind of I'm kind of politically pulling for Lamar Jackson. Uh, this seems to be his year, man. This seems to be his year. Well, we'll see. We'll, 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 we'll see. That, that, yeah, we'll see. That's, well, that's another conversation. We'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey, John, thanks so much, man. All right, guys. And, uh, I, I appreciate it. I really do. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. All right, then. Y'all have a great weekend. All okay. right, man. Take care. Right. So that was a great John Harris. Uh, that was great, man. Yeah, I'm looking forward to digging into the book. I've got the book. Yeah. But I'm really looking forward to digging in here because Tomlin is a very fascinating guy, you know. Yeah, the the, the little I read, you know, few, first few chapters, it was, you know, like I said, I learned, I learned some stuff right there. Uh, just didn't realize he was a wide receiver. You know, some of the college stories, you know. And like like we just said, I mean – that that's a guy who who people want to get to know, especially black other black people are very curious about you know how who this guy really is, you know obviously there's you know along racial lines he doesn't really say that much, but even what what 
what you're saying, you know, he does participate, um, you know, in certain things that that show you that he knows what what time it is. What time it is, yeah, yeah. And that's that's that there. You know, our with black folks in this country, I'm sure since the first African person of African descent put their step foot on this crazy ass continent in the 17th century, we had to figure this shit out. And everybody didn't do everything, right? You know. Uh, and that's probably the secret of surviving, that you had a lot of, we had a great diversity. You couldn't pin people down, you know. Uh, so Clarence Thomas and Thurgood Marshall to Uncle Tom to Malcolm X, <laughs> you know, right. Fannie, Lou, Fannie Lou Hamer to Condoleezza Rice, you know. Right, so, right, right. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I, I'll, put, I'll put Tomlin closer to the, to the Malcolm X side, then I would put him much closer to the Malcolm X side. <laughs> no question about it. All right, man. So listen, uh, uh, this has been a, a great show. Great get. Uh, we'll be, we'll next week, Jamal, you know, you'll give us the black quarterback rankings that we have been desperately waiting right. for. I'll be, I'll be ready. I'll I be ready you, next you, week. You like my I was brother. Scared. I was scared of the game that we we're gonna lose one. I thought we were gonna lose Lamar last night with that ankle. Oh man. But uh it turned out That's we lost Burrow. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, everybody in the arena, man, was like, hush. Right. You know, whenever he stays down more than like a couple seconds, everybody's like, you know, but that's a that's a question for the next show. Will that change? You know, all people pouring all this money into starting quarterbacks, when in fact, should you now invest money in like backups since yeah. whoever's going to your starting quarterback is busy going to get fucked up. It's going to get hurt. Yeah. I mean, it just goes without saying. So do no, you, it's true. Yeah. it's true. I mean, even, even me as a, as a fantasy football uh, manager, I was mm -hmm. thinking to myself the other day, I was like, I need to have next year. I'm drafting two good quarterbacks. Right. You know, these guys aren't going to last. It's a miracle. Right. If a guy makes it through the whole season. I know. I know. I know. So that that will be our next conversation about, you know, uh, do we pour money into one great quarterback, or do we always have two really good quarterbacks? Well, don't worry, Bill. As soon as as soon as uh, there are more black quarterbacks, like the black quarterback is the majority, then all of a sudden they'll be devalued, and you'll have right. two two per team. Don't worry about right. it, Bill. <laughs> of course. As soon as that happens. We're devaluing the position. We're bringing in two guys. Y'all right. are always getting hurt. That's what they're not really important, you know. <laughs> like racehorses, <laughs> like running backs. Right. They'll be like running backs. Right. Exactly. Like a dime a dozen. It's, it's, it's speaking of that, you know, speaking of uh, John talking about your book being his favorite, I talk. I was in Costa Rica this uh, this uh, last weekend. Mm -hmm. It was like a family get together. My aunt's 80th birthday. Oh, okay. uh, my, my my uncle Godfrey, he told me he read your he read uh, your book uh, Forty Million Dollar Slaves for the first time just a few months ago, and he was just going on and on how great it was, and please tell him it was great and the detail and the jockeys and all that stuff. So people are still reading it for the first time, loving it. Oh, that's great. We'll have him on the show. We can talk about it. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, that, that was Bill. That that was Bill Rhodes' out of body experience. <laughs> 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 I read it now, and I said, "Man, how'd you write this?" You know, he, oh, he, and he said he loved he loved all the footnotes and all that, you know. Yeah, it was a lot, man. Yeah. All right, brother. So, um, 
Open flag football is going well. I know you're, you've been removed as a coach, but you're now an advisor, right? Yeah, I'm an advisor. And then now, can you believe my uh, Kareem has a game tomorrow, tomorrow Saturday, tomorrow right. at 8 a.m. in what? Randall's Island. What? So I got I basically got to leave here at like 6.30 in the morning. Oh, my God. Ridiculous. Yeah, well, that's what it is, man. This is just tell Kareem, you better win. We're not going, out, we're not going all this way. <laughs> Seriously. So, so is he playing quarterback? Yeah, he's playing quarterback. But this is a he's nine and they're playing eleven U, so he'll probably be backup quarterback. Okay. All right. You know. Well, that's acceptable. I don't know if it's acceptable enough for me to get up at six thirty and drive an hour to Randall's Island, but you that, know, that's, whatever. That's tough, I don't wanna I don't wanna kill any dreams, you know. Yeah, no, no you gotta do it, brother. <laughs> and we we'll expect next and we'll expect the detail. We'll expect <laughs> details. All right, all right. All right, everybody. Uh Great Don't forget, uh, bet online, bet online. Uh, brought to you by Bet Online. Also, of course, you know where to find us on social media at Bros Pod on Twitter at Bros Pod on Instagram. Uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, Bros Pod as well. Yeah, and buy John Harris's book. Yes, on uh, Mike Tomlin. Yes, trust me. Great subject, great read about somebody you don't hear about, and. Um, you know, if you haven't been inoculated, get the new vaccine. Make sure is there, to get your is there a, new, shot. There's a new one out. There's a new one out. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, you must not look at the commercials. The Chelsea, Kelsey commercial. I thought those. I thought those are old. I thought every time I see the commercial, I just, I, I just think about Aaron Rodgers being so mad at Kelsey for doing these commercials. Yeah. I know. He's called Mr. Pfizer. <laughs> so mad. I'm like Jesus. I'm really serious about this anti-vax stuff. Unbelievable, Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> got what he deserved all right man all okay, right everybody hang in there everybody you know and uh, continue to pray we need it god bless Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.